What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Doctorly Unhinged. I'm Dr. Shaw. I'm Dr. Maxfield. Dr. Maxfield is having technical difficulties as usual. He's got a very <laughs> complex setup lately. And with more complexity comes more difficulty. He could have a simple setup like me, but instead he keeps adding on new things. And every single time we record an episode, <laughs> it seems as if it's the first time he's recorded an episode. Explain yourself. I have no idea. This is the same setup. I have the same microphone. I have the same computer. I have the same cords, I think, camera. Same everything, but some every week it's like something new. It's I don't even know what to do at this point. I just like ditch the computer. <laughs> I'm going to do this on a notepad with you. All right. So today uh, we have some important things to talk about. Uh, we are going to be talking about Jimmy Buffett, who recently passed away with Merkel cell carcinoma. We're going to talk a little bit about Merkel cell. Rest in peace, Jimmy Buffett. We're also going to be talking about continuing a conversation that we were having about biosans. Uh, the parent company Amaris going bankrupt. And then we're also going to be talking about recent news, uh, Naturium being acquired by Elf Cosmetics, actually. Uh, Dr. Maxfield, big fan of Elf Cosmetics. And so we'll be talking a little bit about that today. Yeah, that sounds like a good place to start. I guess the first thing too, where did you go? You got back from somewhere. You've been MIA again, as usual, traveling the world. So I was in Japan and first time ever being in Japan, very, very long trip, uh, about 15 hours from Atlanta and we stopped layover in Atlanta. So, you know, 15 hour flight or so, um, very, very different culture than the United States. Um, and definitely more of a culture shock than a lot of the other places that I've been to. Incredibly clean. Tokyo is incredibly clean. In fact, there is no garbages in Tokyo, like on the streets. So there's no garbage in the streets. So if, if, say for example, you get a coffee, then you are expected to carry that coffee around all day until you get home, basically. Now you can go into certain stores and ask them to throw away things, but there's not like readily, like readily accessible garbage receptacles. That fascinates me, but I think I like it actually. I don't know. Do you have these cultures? And I think we struggle with this especially, but like there's just so much pressure and responsibility on you as an individual. I, I think it's actually a very un interesting characteristic that they maintain and are able to achieve. And I actually feel like you, you travel more than me. So I'm like living vicariously through you. But I feel like of all the places you go, that seems to be like the common thread of a clean, like nice, well-kept country is that it just seems like all of them have that same variable. The people just take care of the stuff. And that seems to be it. Yeah. So people are very responsible with their garbage. They don't throw away garbage in the streets and they, you know, it's very, very clean. And in fact, another thing is that, you know, the, the people don't wear shoes inside the house. I don't wear shoes inside my house either, but they're very, very particular about this because even in the hotel rooms, they basically ask you to take your shoes off and they put like a pair of slippers, like when you get to the carpeted area. And sometimes you'll even go to restaurants where as soon as you walk in, they tell you to take your shoes off and you basically, the, the waiters, waitresses, um, staff, everybody cooks, everybody doesn't wear shoes in the restaurant, right? So everyone's wearing socks basically walking around these restaurants. And so it's just, it's, it's very different. Um, very, very nice, kind people, very gent mm. like generous, honest people. Um, and so one of that, we'll talk a little bit more about it at some point, but very, very, very yeah. interesting trip. Oh, all right. Well, I'm glad you've got to experience that one day. I will too. But we have Jimmy Buffett. Um, and then he had passed recently, like Dr. Shaw had mentioned. And the 
diagnosis that I'd heard that had ended up claiming his life was Merkel cell carcinoma. And so this is a skin cancer that many people have not heard about because the big three, because they're the most common, tend to be your basal, squamous, and then melanoma. Now, Merkel cell carcinoma um, is something that does affect people too, obviously, and it actually can be more aggressive. So we'll talk a little bit about a little bit about this skin cancer. I actually have an anecdotal story I can share with this too that happened to myself recently. Um, but Dr. Shaw, why don't you fill us in? Like, what are the basics of Merkel cell carcinoma? Or actually, even for those of us who may not know, um, which actually myself included, tell us a little bit about Jimmy Buffett's story. Like, wh what's his history? What did he bring uh, onto the stage? Yeah, so Jimmy Buffett, a very well-known musician, uh, also entrepreneur as well. And so mm -hmm. he uh, has, let me think about what is his most famous song? Mar Margaritaville, probably, I would yeah, say. Yeah, you're right. That's got to be it. Um, so, and then he also, or is, I think that he had a song Margaritaville and also owned restaurants called Margaritaville, but I could be completely wrong about that. No, you're right. I've been to those. That is also correct. <laughs> Okay, so there you go. So, <laughs> so best known uh, for the song Margaritaville, Margaritaville and the chain Margaritaville, but also um, had you know made a lot of other very, very popular songs. And I didn't know, and I don't know if people had known that he was struggling with Merkel cell carcinoma or not. So Merkel cell, he was diagnosed about four years ago and was undergoing treatment for a while and then eventually it had metastasized and, and claimed his life. And like you mentioned, we don't hear a lot about Merkel cell carcinoma. We oftentimes stop at, a lot of people will say that the most aggressive and deadly form of skin cancer is actually melanoma, but it really is Merkel cell. Merkel cell is less common, about 20 or 40 times less common than melanoma. And that's why you don't hear about it in sort of popular culture as much. I think another reason why you don't hear about it as much is that it's very difficult to identify. So when you're talking to the public about things, when you talk about melanoma, melanoma is comes from your melanocytes and so they're pigment producing cells. And so you can tell people to look for a dark mole that's changing, that's multicolor. Whereas Merkel cell carcinoma can be a little pink bump basically, or it can be a bluish bump basically. And so because it, or just flesh colored bump, right? It could even look like almost like a skin tag. And so because they're, they're less easy to identify, it's difficult. It's more difficult to educate the public about Merkel cell. And also because it's such, so, so, so much less common that, you know, it's not going to reach as many people, but this is one of the first times we're ever even talking on our channels about Merkel cell. I don't even know if we've ever even mentioned it. Hmm. Yeah, we, I don't think we have either. And that actually kind of feeds into my anecdote and like, I'll just touch on it briefly, but I also recently biopsied a, a Merkel cell carcinoma. And I think the scariest thing about it was just what Dr. Shaw said. It was innocuous. Like it looked like a little small cyst on someone's forehead and they just wanted me to punch it because it was kind of getting annoying. And so I incised into it, nothing drained out. It's like, let's send this. We got to send this. Something seemed atypical. And it came back a Merkel cell carcinoma. But clinically, it looked like absolutely nothing. Now, sometimes they can be very obviously a, a skin cancer aggressive. They can occur on sun damaged areas. There's actually a virus, the polyoma virus that's involved with some of these as well, but clinically they are sneaky. Uh, and that also, again, is why it's difficult to communicate to this. Cause like, what are we going to tell you to look out for? Like, it's not necessarily pearly. It's not necessarily scaly. It's not necessarily even always a non-healing wound and it's not pigmented. It's always so like, that's exactly all of this in a, in a nutshell. It, it's a rare, but potentially aggressive skin cancer. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so it's one of those things where a lot of times people will come in with a bump and 
not e- the doctor is not even really that suspicious about it, like you mentioned. And then somehow it ends up getting biopsied, and then you know you get this diagnosis. And like you mentioned, it's it's sort of an interesting disease condition because one, you know, we used to think it came from Merkel cells. So Merkel cells are these like mechanoreceptors that are often found in like the fingers and and Merkel cell carcinoma is not often found on the fingers, often found on sun-exposed areas. And so it's not really found where Merkel cells are. And but because it had Merkel cell characteristics, a lot of people thought that it originated at the Merkel cell, and that's why it's called Merkel cell carcinoma. And I think now prevailing opinion is that it does not originate from Merkel cells. So it's almost like a misnomer, the name of the 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 cancer itself. People, most people think it either originates from keratinocytes, like regular skin cells, or from fibroblasts. And it's also the only type of cancer that is caused in many cases by the polyoma virus. And so, like Dr. Maxfield mentioned, Merkel cell polyoma virus found in about 80% of cases, and some studies showing up to 97% of cases that this Merkel cell polyoma virus is one of the initiators of this condition. So Basically, it causes oncogenesis, it causes it to turn into a cancer, it grows out of control, often stays locally for a small amount of time, and then can spread all over the entire body as a neuroendocrine cancer. And so a lot of times when we discover it, it's already metastasized. And so one of the universal things about cancers in general is that the sooner you discover it, the better off that you are. So this is true of melanoma. This is true of any form of skin cancer and especially Merkel cell carcinoma. And so if you do have something, the only recommendation I guess I have to people who are listening is if you have something that's new, that wasn't there before, that's, that's sort of bothering you, it's, it's on top of mind for you. I would just have it checked out just in case. This isn't to like cause paranoia in people, but a lot of times if you have something new and growing and you don't know what it is and your doctor doesn't know what it is, it's worth sometimes just getting a biopsy for reassurance purposes because it could be something like a Merkel cell cancer. Yeah, and I think that's actually a good warning um, or even just notification for doctors out there as well because, um, you know, sometimes it is just like a gut intuition. We talked about this before or I talked about this in another podcast, but the longer you practice, I think the more your gut plays a role and the less it's like objective, like, oh, this, this pattern, this pattern, this pattern. Like you get a sense like, and for a lot of skin cancers, it could just be something new, non-healing or something that's like fixed and firm as opposed to free, free and mobile on examination. And so same thing to all the doctors and providers out there as well. Like let your gut guide you be, have a low threshold of biopsy, um, especially if there's any, any, any consideration that you might not know what this is and it could be cancerous. Now, Absolutely. I guess with that too, so we talked about the featureless features of a Merkel cell carcinoma, but how has treatment evolved over time? Because this is actually something that we have seen some progress with or some new advancements in over, I don't even know, in the last 10 years, mm-hmm. but along with other advanced skin cancers, this has some newer novel treatments. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things is that, you know, you want to remove it basically like the primary tumor. So, uh, surgery is going to be your first option. Uh, Mohs surgery is, I believe now indicated for it is, is the primary treatment. Mohs surgery, depending on the size, plus, plus or minus radiation therapy. Yeah, radiation therapy. And it, it can be extensive. And I think, unfortunately, this is where the, the gravity of skin cancers is lost on a lot of people. Um, thankfully, most skin cancers are taught early, treated early, and an excision or Mohs surgery can be the end of it. But even in this case, it's a combination oftentimes of surgery and then radiation 
And then also there is an immunotherapy. I think Evelumab is the indicated targeted immunotherapy that's approved for this condition. And they all have immunotherapy, that is. They all have this sense of like increasing your immune system. So your immune system in an over-exuberant fashion attacks things. And hopefully one of them is the, uh, the skin cancer. And so this is another setting where you might have a more comprehensive, extensive treatment for a single type of skin cancer. And it's not always successful, but it is, I think, leaps and bounds of where it is before or where has been in the past, actually. Yeah, absolutely. So Avalumab and then also I think Keytruda or Pembrolizumab is also mm -hmm. approved. Um, but both work by the same mechanisms, which goes to show what the other, the three main causes are this Merkel cell polyoma virus, sun exposure, causing DNA damage and mutations, and then also just immunosuppression. And so having a weak immune system, whether it's from immunosuppressive therapy that you're taking like medications, whether it's the HIV virus, whether it's other cancers that are suppressing your immune system, or you're just born with immunodeficiency in general. These all, since you're suppressing your immune system, you're not able to fight off these mutations that are occurring in your natural skin, uh, your natural cells. Um, and so by boosting your immune system, the theory is that these immunotherapies that work like pembrolizumab and evalumab will help to fight these cancers off. But they're not like targeting specifically that cancer itself. So they oftentimes come with a lot of side effects. Right. Um, so that's something to be aware of. Uh, one of the more uncommon skin cancers um, and then kind of the legacy of Jimmy Buffett, I, I know certainly will live on um, and hopefully affect future generations as well. Now, obviously, it's kind of tough to transition from this into a lighthearted topic. So we're going to keep it kind of serious. We're going to actually talk about another topic that's been trending in the news lately. Um, it also can be life threatening. And it, which we're not trying to like fear monger in this episode. We're not trying to like make you worry about life or like be reticent about doing anything. But this is actually another trending topic that I think is very important um, for multiple reasons. And so this is the topic of flesh eating bacteria. The story I think that I've seen the most about uh, is from a model, Jennifer Barlow, I think is her name. And she had her leg amputated due to exposure to what's been termed in the news as flesh eating bacteria. I haven't actually seen the, the causative culture positive results from this, but we're actually going to just extrapolate and talk about one of the most common causes of flesh-eating bacteria with exposure to the ocean, and that's Vibrio vulnificus, because I have also seen a ton of warnings and alerts on my neck of the woods here on the East Coast this year, like Vibrio is high, stay out of the water, Vibrio is high, stay out of the water, if. And that if is a very important thing, because this is actually bacteria that comes and is present in the water every single year. Yeah, so this is something that you can see on the Atlantic side of the US. You can also see it in the Gulf of Mexico. And it, it and we're even finding that increasing temperatures and decreasing salt in the salt and salt waters are allowing this thing to grow more frequently. And I we'll even see some videos on um on TikTok where people are like letting crabs bite them or like, you know, messing mm. with oysters. It, basically, uh, what you what you find with this is a lot of times in fishermen is like the classic, like it, it, so to explain to people how we learn about different conditions. Um, one, they talk about like epidemiologically, okay, who does this occur more often in swimmers, it occurs more often in people who, you know, uh, surf people who are fishermen. And then when we get tested on this, tested on our knowledge, the way that they ask us questions is they'll say a 46-year-old fisherman comes in and he's 
developed this blistering rash on his arm and um, it's painful and, and he's got fevers as well. And then you think, okay, well, this guy's a fisherman. What has he been exposed to? And oftentimes like shellfish and things that cause nicks in the skin. Um, and then they get exposure of this Vibrio bacteria underneath the skin and then it spreads rapidly. Um, you can also get Vibrio vulnificus like food poisoning. So you can get like a mm -hmm. gastroenteritis from eating it as well. Um, but the one that we hear a lot about lately is this flesh eating form of Vibrio vulnificus. Yeah. And I've, I've actually seen this a couple of times. So my whole training has actually revolved around the Gulf or the East coast. My entire medical training for it has been in this area <laughs> with the exception of one year has been on the coast in some form. And so this is a condition I've seen. Thankfully, those cases turned out fairly mild and the patients did well. Um, but I think the most important thing to note, like Dr. Shaw said, is this something that occurs in warmer water. It is actually seasonal in terms of the levels of bacteria. And this is not the only bacteria in the ocean. I mean, we talk about atypical mycobacterium being in the salt water. We see that a lot on the coast here as well. But this is Vibrio a species. It can be more aggressive. It can cause hemorrhagic bullae. And I think that like, really just the takeaway point here is probably just twofold. It's like, who's most at risk? And then you know to stay out of the water. Uh, and then we'll, we we'll just start there. So who, if you have chronic medical conditions, uh, especially like chronic liver disease, high levels of iron in your blood, um, these are the people who are going to be most at risk. And actually, I did counsel my patients on this quite a bit this year because I do, you know, it's a lot of surgeries, a lot of procedures for skin cancers, and especially. And um, the patients every day, you know, can I golf or can I swim in the ocean? Those are the two questions they ask me every single day. And so it is like, no, actually you really need to be careful around the ocean. Don't get in the ocean at this time until it's completely healed up because of this bacteria. You are someone who's especially at risk. Um, so this actually did change the way I counseled my patients over the last month. It's something I've been aware of. It's something people in this area have been aware of. And I, even though that that's the highest population, for, just like for in this example, that, 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 Jennifer Barlow, she didn't, I believe, fall into any of those risk factors. And this is very unfortunate and it's extremely difficult because like, let's say the odds are in your favor, infinitely in your favor. When it happens to you, it still happens to you. When it happens to someone you love, it still happens to someone you love. So although you can be cautious, you can minimize your risk. It is never hundred percent without risk, um, but it is just important to pay, pay attention to these kind of cautions that come across your local newsfeed, I guess. Yes, definitely. And this is like hot off the press. So from CNN right now, CDC warns doctors to be on alert for cases of flesh eating bacteria, Vibrio vulnificus. And they said during July and August, as the U.S. saw widespread heat waves and above average coastal sea surface temperatures, Connecticut, New York, and North Carolina reported more severe and fatal Vibrio vulnificus infections. At least five people have died in those states. And so definitely good to know that any nick in the skin, uh, you've undergone surgery, you've had a tattoo done, going in the water, the ocean uh, can increase your risk of being exposed to this bacteria, which could then lead to um, an infection. Now, this doesn't mean that you shouldn't live your life or go into the water at any point in your life because there is this Vibrio that's lurking there. But it just means that if you develop and, and people oftentimes will notice, hey, like I'm developing a wound like a uh, redness and pain in a certain area and they let it sit for a little bit longer. They think it's going to heal. They think they maybe stepped on something like a sea urchin or something. 
And then it starts to get more red and spread. They start to develop fevers. And then by the time they actually go to see a doctor, because um, these things can spread within 24 to 48 hours, you know, it can become flesh eating and spread, you know, rapidly up the arm or the leg. And so if you develop something like this, just know that you, know, you should get it checked out sooner than later, because if they, if you get it checked out sooner, you can be on antibiotics that would prevent you either having an amputation or having significant debridement, uh, debridement of the skin. And so, uh, less, less severe if caught earlier, basically. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Low threshold, any wound, a lot of purulence, swelling, redness, tenderness, any systemic symptoms, fever, especially confusion. These are all nonspecific. We can all point towards it and go see someone as soon as possible. That's probably the most important thing you can do after the fact. So heavy topics today. Um, heavy topics today. Do we want to then just hit Biosant's uh, parent company, Amaris, bankruptcy then to just make this episode all sort of morbid and negative? Or do we want to talk positive and talk about Nintarium's acquisition? Um, I guess let's just keep it negative. Like why change, why change the tone? <laughs> Okay, let's keep it. Let's keep it pretty negative. Um, so Amaris, <laughs> like I was talking about in the last. So I, so I have a, 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 a very like as you guys all know, I, and I've talked about this on previous episodes. I have a, I'm very interested in the business, business in general, um, but the business of beauty, the business of skincare, um, the business of dermatology, and so very, very much interested in this topic. And so Amaris, which I had heard was having trouble and difficulty in the past. So Amaris is a, the parent company of Biosance. It's also the parent company of JVN Hair. It's the parent company of a few other companies as well, lesser known companies. But the two biggest ones are probably JVN Hair and Biosance. And Amaris just filed for bankruptcy. Now, you wonder how is this happening if Biosance is such a successful company? I mean, and this happens a lot of times if you're your costs are too high, you have you know, too many staff, the price of your ingredients goes up too much. But Amaris as a company was was a, a pioneer essentially in developing different ingredients. And so they had developed, you know, the Neosan squalane, which is a sugarcane derived squalane. They pioneered the process of making this is a very unique ingredient. And they actually licensed or sold off a lot of their ingredient portfolio a few months ago because they were having financial trouble as well. And the, their their ingredients were were very successful part of their portfolio. And so they sort of spun that part off. And now that they're in bankruptcy um, right now, they are actually going to be selling off their individual brands. And so it's not like Biosense, the brand will disappear. Biosense, the brand will likely be acquired by a different company or maybe spin off as an entirely different company altogether, or some type of private equity company will come in and purchase it and then help to continue growing it. So my suspicion is that Biosense will not disappear from the face of the earth. That would be sad if they did because Dr. Maxfield and I are big, big fans of the brand. We've been big fans big of the fans. brand for a while. We love their products. And so it would, it would be a shame really for them uh, to no longer exist. But I, I suspect that they'll come back uh, with somebody else as their parent company. Right. And I guess the heart of it too, you know, these acquisitions we've been talking, we talk about these a lot. We talk about these a lot, a lot, but the, uh, I think we do see a lot of retention of the company. And I, I do think that most, with most of the acquisitions, the heart of the company is typically kept intact. And hopefully that stays the case because I think Biosance is a unique skincare brand. I think they bring actually a lot of value to the table. I think their products are aesthetically elegant. I love the function of them. Uh, and I'm optimistic that they will still be around 
doing biosance things here in the near future. And I will continue to support that and continue to support them, even if the ownership does change. It's always a moving landscape, though. And um, it's just interesting to observe. It's like shark eats shark, eats minnow, eats minnow. But then all you're left with kind of like everything else is like five sharks at the top and then a ton of little minnows in their belly. <laughs> yeah, that I mean, that's that tends to be what happens, right? That they there tends to be one strategic that ends up sort of ruling them all. You know, L'Oreal has been big in the acquisition space and there are other companies that come in and have tried the acquisition thing has not been as mm. successful, right? So they they think that they can acquire a brand and run a brand and but it's very difficult to like fit into an existing infrastructure and transfer all of that business over. And what I find is that L'Oreal as a company oftentimes keeps the original brand very much intact, so much so that you almost can't tell that it was acquired versus sometimes these acquisitions, they really try to merge that company into the parent company. And one of the challenges mm. with that is that they'll t a lot of times be like, okay, we're going to use the same sales force on both, on both companies or three companies that we've recently acquired. We'll put them onto one. We'll use the same leader. The CEO will be the same and, you know, we'll, we'll share resources and, and by sharing resources, we'll cut down on our overhead. But a lot of times you lose the vision of the individual mm. brand that gave it, you know, the, 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 the following that it had. And so, one of the challenges with acquisitions is they can be very, very clunky or they can be very, very clean. And so it really just depends on how that process goes um, and whether or not they really try to, let's say, for example, Biosance is not profitable, right? They, they generate a lot of revenue, we know. Um, they're in Sephora's everywhere and they're, they're a very successful company. But the question is, are they profitable? Which means that are their costs like actually, or the things that, is their overhead higher than what they're making, right? So, a company might come in and say, well, we're going to decrease the cost of everything. We're going to cut staff. We're going to, you're going to decrease advertising. We're going to, you know, cut the quality of the products to, you know, decrease the cost of everything. And then, you know, they basically gut the company and make it unsuccessful. And so there, it, it just needs to be done in a very, in a, in a, in a way that makes a lot of sense. And who knows if that will happen, but hopefully they will. And we'll keep you all apprised to the story. If you're a big Biosense fan and you're watching this on YouTube, drop your favorite comment below <laughs> and what you think, what, what product would you be sad if they no longer existed? Oof. I think for me, it would be their, um, their gel probiotic gel moisturizer. That's like my go-to. Oh, it's so good. I, I mean, I agree. I'm looking at all the Biosense products I think that they have right now, and I would miss that the most. The The copper peptides are actually close second, maybe a distant second, but yeah, the, the moisturizer, hands down, hands down. You know, it's, I'm working with a lot of L'Oreal brands. I've been surprised. I feel like sometimes they don't talk. I'm like, oh, this arm of L'Oreal and this, like you're both owned by L'Oreal, but it seems like they're operating in different roles. But I, I do actually now in the light of this think of that almost as a positive because they really do function independently they really really do under l'oreal keep their own vision like vichy really like dedicated we're, we're a laboratory we think like that we operate like that and then you have like some other cuts that are just operating completely different with a completely different vision um but yeah. they're all owned by l'oreal that's good yeah no 100 percent. i used to be frustrated by that to be honest <laughs> uh, when working with the brands because i'm like why didn't you just talk to the other brand um mm -hmm. and it actually has caused a lot of issues i won't go into details but there's a huge conflict um and i was like why don't you just you guys are the same companies like why don't you just talk to the other <laughs> brand 
Um, and they didn't. And, and so I, um, I, I was always frustrated by that, but now, now, now I sort of understand that it makes sense because if you do that, if you don't keep the brands very separate, um, it can get very, very messy from a corporate standpoint. And so I, I've come to appreciate that, like you mentioned. Um, so very, very pretty much negative episode overall. Rest in peace, Jimmy Buffett. Vibrio on the rise in in waters near you. And um, Amorous bankrupt now. What happens to Biosense and JVN Hair? Soon to be determined. Uh, hopefully next episode will be a lot more positive. Um, thank you all so much for tuning in. Please like, comment, and subscribe wherever you listen. Um, we are on YouTube now, so definitely check us out on YouTube. We have the video formats going up as well. If not, continue to listen to us on, on Apple and Spotify. We love and appreciate all of you. Yeah, thank you all for being on this journey with us.